morning. I want to welcome those who are joining us online. I'm Jonathan Coleman, one of the pastors here at Anderson Hills. Uh, President's Day weekend here. Uh, and uh, we have been in a wonderful series called The Story. And uh, we've kind of been going along here and seeing God's people just really struggle at times and be close, uh, far from God, but then also draw close uh, to God with every thing in their being. I read that uh, Max Lucado described a closet in his house that he calls his closet of forgotten passions. And in this closet is a neglected telescope, he says. He had a passion for astronomy at one time, but he kind of let that stay in the closet. And then also he found in that closet some stepping stones because he always wanted to dig his hands in the dirt and start a garden. Um, and then also there was a box of photos and empty photo albums that he had meant to passionately put in those sticky pages. Do you have one of those closets in your house? Maybe full of things you were passionate about or things to enrich your life, but you just never got around to it. And soon you lost that interest or you simply got distracted by other things. You know, I think it can happen in your spiritual life too. I know that. I do. Too often we get distracted by secondary things and it pulls us from primary things, responsibilities. And this is what happened to God's people. And in our journey through the story, like I said before, we've seen it. We've seen people uh, putting God's passions aside, what God was passionate about for their lives. To put everything into context, three generations have passed for God's people being exiled for 70 years in Babylon. And finally, a Persian king, Cyrus, he or overthrows the Babylonians. And the Persian rulers were far more benevolent to the Israelites than to the Babylonians or the Assyrian oppressors. And so these, these uh, Persians were very, very benevolent to the religious needs of God's people. And so King Cyrus, he encouraged all foreigners exiled in Babylon to return to their homelands and rebuild their homes and their houses, their temples of worship. And so 530 B.C., thousands of exiles, Israelites, left Babylon and went back to Jerusalem, to their homeland, to rebuild things. And within a year, everything changes for God's people, and they're free to return and, and rebuild that and also rebuild their lives in communion with that. So let's look at Ezra 1, 1 through 5. It says, In the first year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, the king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also put into writing. This is what Cyrus, the king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all kingdoms of earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him in Jerusalem and Judea. And his people among you may go to Jerusalem and Judea and build the temple of the Lord, the God of Israel, the God who is in Jerusalem. And may their God be with them. 
And in any locality where survivors may now be living, the people are to provide them with silver and gold and with goods and livestock and the free will offerings for the temple of God in Jerusalem. And then the heads of the families of Judea and Benjamin and the priests and Levites, everyone whose heart had moved, God's heart had moved, prepared to go up and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. So this is what Ezra wants us to understand, that God is working behind the scene, and God is utilizing even this, this pagan king, Cyrus, to call them back to their home. And God can use this king to do that. The scriptures say that the Lord moved King Cyrus's heart, and he makes that proclamation, and we see it, and he says, go back, rebuild. And see, Ezra sees God behind this as a key agent. And so they made that 900-mile journey back home. And in chapter 2, if you read that, Ezra chapter 2, you see all the specifics and all the numbers of those people who returned. And it's pretty incredible seeing these family names with all thousands of people in those groupings. It takes them four months, and they arrive home. And there they find overgrown fields, neglected roads, demolished homes, and Jerusalem in ruins. And I'm sure if you think about it in the mind's eye of an older person who saw that maybe as a child and they're returning to that, it probably broke their heart before they were exiled away. And for the younger ones, they're like, what, this is the promised land? Are you kidding me? And so it's a huge challenge, but they begin to rebuild. And things begin well, folks. Led by Joshua, the high priest of Zerubbabel, the appointed governor, they jump right in and they begin to rebuild the altar so that they could make daily sacrifices to God. They lay the foundation to the temple. And I'm certain all of this is happening. There's a range of emotions. And, and again, maybe the older people who saw this way, way, way long ago, they were overjoyed to see these worship acts start again. You know, I don't know if you ever, if you ever experienced returning to a place where you worshiped at one time. And maybe young people, like when you, maybe you're going to move away and get married and raise a family, but then you'll come home to Anderson Hills, and you'll begin to get a sense of maybe what these people have experienced. I remember when I walked back to the Estes Chapel in Asbury Theological Seminary. When I was in seminary, I had so many powerful experiences of worship there. I heard amazing sermons. And a few years ago, I was driving south, coming to Lexington, and I thought, I'm going to stop by uh, Wilmore, Kentucky, and go to Asbury Theological Seminary. And I walked back into Estes Chapel, and I remember getting a little emotional. The wonderful memories of having my faith deepen and recollections were so thick, I couldn't, I couldn't brush them away from my face. And that's how these people responded to this call. And they came back, and I'm sure these exiles felt the same way. But here's the thing. It didn't take long for opposition to begin, to not let these people begin to rebuild things there. The people settled by the Assyrians who have become known as the Samaritans, and they're not happy that these 42,000 Jews have returned to their homeland. Look at this in Ezra 4, 1 through 5. And this is from the Message Bible. 
I like how Eugene Peterson writes. He says, old enemies of Judea and Benjamin heard that the exiles were rebuilding the temple of God of Israel. They came to Zerubbabel and the family heads and says, we'll help you. We'll, we'll worship your God with the same as you. We've been offering sacrifices to him. Esar Haddon, king of Assyria, brought us here. Zerubbabel, Jesusah, and the rest of the family heard heads of Israel. They said, they said to them, nothing doing. Build, building the temple of God is not your, is not the same as thing as it is to you as it is to us. We alone will build for God of Israel. We're the ones King Cyrus of Persia commanded to do it. So these people started beating down the morale of the people of Judea, harassing them as they built. They even hired propagandists to sap their resolve. And they kept this up for 15 years. And throughout the lifetime of Cyrus the king of Persia, and on into the reign of Darius the king. You see, these old enemies are doing everything to intimidate God's people. And even through letter writing, a campaign to keep that temple work at a standstill. And you notice the irony? God is saying, I freed you to worship me. But the enemies are saying, no, you're going to be still held captive. We're not going to allow this to happen. So you can't worship this God. And so weeks turn into months Months turn into years. This holy work, it stops. These antagonists, they sap resolve. Like Eugene Peterson says, they're a bunch of propagandists. Doesn't it seem that when God wants to renew and restore faith or deepen passion to have true worship come from a worshiper, a believer, that it seems like opposition pops up? Think about that just for a second. And it can come from various forms. Folks, when freedom comes and faith is deepened, new challenges sometimes arise and they rear the ugly head. You see, distractions can come in many, many forms. Distractions are really an enemy to the spiritual life. Distractions can pull us from God's passion for our lives and our focused ways in which we deepen our walk with the Lord. Distractions can hobble our walk with him step by step. And in our text today, God's people get caught up in, in these outside distractions from their enemies, their old enemies, he wants his people to do his holy work. I have a confession. Um, it happened to me, th this happened to me to a certain extent on Tuesday. M Monday morning, and especially Tuesday morning, that's my sermon writing time. So that time is sacred. I see it as holy work. You see, I have a ritual. And you can see it right up here. I, I get coffee, I center on prayer. I get into some silence. I read the main text. I get my classical music playing. It's all lovely. And you see in this picture, I have my outline and the Bible and the computer is there. And I begin writing what you're hearing today. Mark Rowland and I outlined like three or four weeks ago. And so you just begin that process and you interact. And I, like I said, I consider it holy work. But Tuesday, I didn't realize that my Facebook page was open in the background of my computer. Suddenly, I get a Facebook Messenger notification from a friend. Jonathan, did you see this broom challenge? 
And then there was this picture of a broom standing straight up. And so I'm like, what is the broom challenge? And right in the middle of my sermon writing work, I, I popped off of my, you know, my Word document, went over to Facebook, and I see all my friends are taking pictures of a broom standing straight up in perfect balance. And I'm like, what's up with this? Well, some goofball said that the Earth's rotation is in perfect balance on February 10th, and it would be possible for brooms to stand straight up. Did you guys see this? And so, anyway, squirrel, <laughs> distraction. I got up from that holy work, and I went and got my broom. And folks, I was in my kitchen trying to get that broom to stand up on its own. If you didn't know anything about this broom challenge, and if you were watching me, you would have thought I'd gone mad. Because I'm going, oh, come on. And so, finally, after wasteful minutes of precious sermon writing time, I got my broom to stand. I did. Even better, I started taking pictures of it from every angle. And I'm sending it out to my peeps. I was like a farmer. You know, just step back and admiring his, his prize, grand champion, blue ribbon steer. And, and I, I was like, this is so cool. And then I realized that Tuesday wasn't February 10th. It was February 11th. NASA, NASA didn't state this. <laughs> so I put the broom away. Got back to my sermon writing. I was surprised the broom didn't rear up and hit me in the tuchus. You know, so... But it's a goofy example, but it's really, it's, it's crazy how we can get so distracted by outside forces and maybe even our own silly stuff when God's priorities are calling to us. Like God's people, they had this big God-prioritized job to do to rebuild that temple. And so God's big thing became their little thing. What was a holy, blazing Fervent God priority cooled off. It just became warm stuff to them. Rebuilding the temple, it was in their forgotten passion closet. And like God's people, God's big thing, like I said, became their little thing. And many times we need to get the wake-up call to get back to what is primary in the many divine taskings of the kingdom. I believe one of the primary things that God does through the ministry of the church and through the proclamation of the word is to get God, is to get us focused with precision lenses on what he wants to do as primary in our lives, to make God first. And for weeks we've seen how the prophets keep calling people back to that priority. And today one of those prophets is Haggai, and Haggai gets God's people engaged on what God is passionate about. Let's look at, look at Haggai 1, verses 1 through 5. It says, in the year of, the, of King Darius, the first day of the sixth month, the word of God came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judea, and to Joshua, son of Jazakadak the high priest. And this is what the Lord God Almighty says. These people say the time is not yet to come and rebuild the Lord's house. And then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. It is a time for you yourselves to be living in your, 
Is it, or wait, this is a question. Is it time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while the house remains in ruin? This is what the Lord God Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. And the call is, forget paneling up your houses, getting your houses decorated. You got to get the work on God's house because God wants to get, God wants to be worshiped. And so Haggai is asking, have you been wondering why things haven't gone well for you? Why you've misplaced your priorities? Why you're doing this when you should be doing this? Haggai rebuked them for living in those paneled houses while God's house remained in ruins. And it was, it was an understandable need, but this went on for years and years, my friends. They kind of just let it off to the side. You see... We have to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing calibrates our lives. Worship is primary to God. Worship is first. And like, like it's God wants freedom for every living thing. Why? To worship. All creation is made for worship. And it is the main thing. I'm a huge Rich Mullins fan. And he wrote this song. And, and it's just... It's one of those worship-centering songs. It's called Step by Step, and I sing it in my mind a lot of times. It says, oh God, you are my God, and I will ever praise you. I will seek you in the morning, and I will learn to walk in your ways, and step by step you'll lead me, and I will follow you all of my days. You see, worship is learning the ways and rhythms and beats of God. He guides our steps. He makes them faithful. We, we can know what it means to return home to God, even in the present or even in the minute, through worship and keeping our eyes on the main thing. The temple worship at this time, it was, it was required for full obedience to the Mosaic law. And thus, this unfinished work, it revealed, really, their apathy, their spiritual apathy in their lives at that time. And their problem was misplaced priorities. And it's a problem we all can experience regardless of time and location. The Hebrew, they put their interests at that time above honoring God. And the prophet Haggai's rebuke was simple. It was to the point, get right with God and get back to work. You know, his message is relevant now as it is, then as it is to now. It is. And I know. And I love the statement, give careful thought to your ways, my people. And Solomon said much of the same in Proverbs. He says, the wisdom of the prudent is to give thought to their ways, but the folly of the fools is deception. And we're not to put our interests above honoring the Lord and his priorities. I love this quote by C.S. Lewis. Read this thing. This is one of those calibration quotes. <laughs> if we put first things first, we'll get second things thrown in. But if we put second things first, we lose both the first and the second things. And when these secondary things begin to rule, it can get our life out of whack. And two things that can get us out of whack are really our checkbook and calendar. Show me two things. And I'll show you what's important. To show me those two things in your life, and I'll show you what's important to you. Especially the calendar. 
And so that's why God is saying, be careful, be attentive. And Haggai says that through, through the good Lord's voice. He says, be careful to the way you spend your time and days. And make sure that you return to your first love. We make time for what is important to us. And it's hard to sanctify that calendar. And changing your schedule can drastically change your life when it's prioritized according to God's priorities. Spending more time worshiping and loving God will never go void in our lives. It will always have impact and power. And we'll receive more and more and more. And when we listen and obey the call to return to our first love, our priorities will fall in line. And it'll create that divine love ripple in us, in our lives. And it'll impact the totality of our being. It will. Relationships, marriage, friendships, singleness, everything. Jesus talked about this in Matthew 6, 33. He said, Seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you or given unto you. We scratch my head and say, what's, that, what's all these things to be added or given unto me? What's that mean? What's he talking about? Well, in the context of that, if you read it, Jesus is speaking on strategic focus. He, he calls out the distractions of, of worrying about food, clothing, investments, or worrying about tomorrow. And we, when we seek God first... The attention to the world and its distractions will become more and more diminished. And we'll be able to stay in those faithful steps of God guiding each faithful step. I think we need to get God's priorities into our calendars first. And then all others will fall into their proper place. All other priorities. You know, I see it a lot. And I think I'm guilty of it a lot. The business of busyness. I'm too busy. I don't have time. Uh, how you doing? Oh, I'm just busy. You know, I, I get that way. And at times, I think even, folks can even brag about it. You know, well, the busier I am, the more important I must be. I really have a full calendar, folks. I'm telling you, it's just woo. You know, and it makes me wonder why why we're so hurried and and agitated, distractions, and we're rushed and frenzied. We keep our kids on the same kind of crazy schedule, man. It seems like it's just overwhelming. And where can God break through in the midst of that? And he calls to us through people like Haggai and the ministries of church and through worship, come back to me. Let me guide your faithful steps right here, right now. Help me nourish your spiritual life. In Ephesians 5.16, Paul Paul writes about this. He says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Make the most of our time. Redeem time. And God's in the business of constantly redeeming our time. So... Anyway, I think God would say to me, Jonathan, Friday's the day to play with brooms, man. <laughs> Time should never be killed. It should be cherished. And I was associate pastor in Gallup Police, Ohio in the year 2000. I took our youth to uh, Camp Asbury for a retreat. It was one of our Methodist camps. And not far from Camp Asbury was a graveyard. 
And one evening at dusk, I, I, I took the kids up to this uh, graveyard. It's probably 25 kids. I had a flashlight. And um, I wanted to give them a lesson on Cairo's time. And do you know Cairo's time is different from chronological time? Cairo's time is, is not Kronos time. Cairo's time is God time, sacred, his time. And so I remember shining my flashlight. And some of you guys think this is morbid, but I thought it was cool. On this, gra- on this grave, and I don't know whose grave it was, but I, I read this poem. It was called The Dash. And I, I don't want to read it for the sake of time, but it, it talked about the year of birth, the date there, the year and date, and then that little dash line, and then the year of death. And I talked to them about what that dash represented. I told them how that dash is how we spend our time, how that dash is made up of our priorities. That dash is made up of our ideals. That dash is made up of our values. That dash is made up of our legacy. And I don't think these kids ever forgot that. And what if we give that dash back to the one who blesses us with the dash? What if we gave that dash back to the one who has blessed us with that dash, the one who is age to age, always the same. Whoever will and shall be, and who knows us, and knows who we are, who has formed us, and knows the plans and purposes for us, what if we gave him that dash? You know, (laughs) how's your dash? Are you tired all the time? Never getting the essential things done? Does your family complain, you know, work comes first? Do you find it impossible spending time with God? Are you pleading, God, just help me get through this month? Maybe you're thinking that this has nothing to do with your spiritual life. It has everything to do with your spiritual life. Thoughtful arrangement of our priorities and even our calendars is one of the holiest endeavors that we can undertake. And it can change our life. And we remember God calls through people like Haggai saying, careful thought of your ways, my friend. And we must give careful thought as a Christ follower, as a family member, and as a friend of God. Here's what I'm learning. My schedule has far less, is far less about what I need to get done and far more about who I want to become. I want to repeat that. My schedule is far less about what I need to get done and far more about who I want to become. And I do, I want to do everything to become like Christ. And like I said, it just calibrates my human life and my existence, man. And that dash is given to him. I want to tell you something. I get, I get to make another confession. This is not a broom thing. But it's, it's a little sad. Every other year I go to a monastery called the Abbey of Gethsemane. And it's in Bardstown, Kentucky. And I go for a retreat. I usually take a week and I'm in silence the whole time. You're thinking, Jonathan, in silence the whole time? I say, the whole time. And it takes 24 hours down at Gethsemane in that silence to purge all the noise 
and, and stuff and distractions out of the brain. But then there's, there's a time where a tuning fork goes off. I can begin to interact and have just amazing communion with God in that silence and getting into his word and reading books and writing. And there's times I can't put the pen down in my journaling. Well, I was supposed to go there at the beginning of February. However, I began to let these distractions creep in to my scheduled time where that I would have to leave the retreat early. At the end of January, I called and I canceled the retreat. And I started writing this message this week. It just started breaking my heart. I was convinced and convicted that I needed to reschedule that. I can't let this slide. And this week, I drew a line in the sand. Man. I put up a boundary against those distractions and old, old, you know, opposition. Because I know when I go down there, it's going to be an amazing time for me to be renewed as a, as a husband, a father, a friend, a pastor, and especially as a friend of God. And give me time to recharge. Next Monday, I'm going. I am. No Facebook. No phone. So don't try to call me in a messenger. Hey, see the broom standing. No. I'm leaving that broom at home. I just want to be with him because he's my everything. And I know in that time, he can show me some amazing things and, and prepare uh, my life for the ministry. What priorities have, misplaced, have you misplaced in your life? Do you need to take some changes like I do? Has your passion for God cooled off? Is God calling you back to be his first love, for, you, for him to be your first love? Are you getting frustrated that things are turning out the way you thought they would? Aren't? <laughs> are you distracted from God's purpose for your life? Is it time to return home like these people and, and start to rebuild? I think we ought to commit today to get God's big things and have them become our big things. Will you join me in prayer? Dear Lord, um, God, we, uh, we always need your help. I know I need your help. These distractions, they try to creep in. You want to build your life in us, the fullness of you within us. And God, these priorities, we want our priorities, these priorities, big priorities of yours to become ours. And so increase Increase it in our lives. Show us specifically and vividly what we are to do. God, we give our calendars, we give our very lives to you, trusting in you, for you made us, and you've got a great purpose for us. We want to be like you, Jesus. And we pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen.